Amen. We thank everybody for your giving. And at this time, if everybody could please stand to your feet as we introduce the speaker of the hour, Prophet Mike, um, Minister, Prophet Mike Rose. Amen. Put your hands together, not for me, but for Jesus. Come on, I'm just a vessel, not for me, but for Jesus. Has very little to do with me and all to do with God. Put your hands, ministers, do me a favor, don't help them at all. Because we need to move in expectation in this season. If we're going to honor a sovereign God, we shouldn't need pumping and priming to praise and worship our God. So I'm going to try this again, and I'm going to turn my back so it's just you and God. And I dare you to bless the Lord, your God. Bless the Lord, your God, your shelter, your keeping, your provider, your blesser, your king. We shouldn't need them to hit the right chords. We shouldn't need the right help in here when we understand and know who it is that we serve. Look, y'all got tired already. I'm still going to wait. The notes will be here, but we got to know how to shift and praise God when we have an opportunity. Come on, so because this praise is supposed to come from the lifestyle you have outside of the building. So we, when we bring it inside the building, it's just a matter of being corporate. It's just a matter of being a little louder because I've spent my time at home with my face facing the wall. So it's just me and God. And when I come in here, it ought to just be louder. It ought to have a different echo because there's more than just me talking. Come on, y'all still getting tired. I see we ought to pray for stamina in the spirit, huh? We ought to we ought to pray for the fortitude to praise and worship. Look, y'all stopping already. See, I wouldn't be a prophet of God if I didn't make it sure that the people heard the voice of God. This is not about us. We didn't come into service for him to serve us. We came into service for us to serve him. So if you came in here with a mind and heart of expectation, I dare you to praise ye the Lord. Y'all looking for my approval. I need the stamp of the Lord. I could care less about what man has to say about me, but if my father seals it, I'm happy. Sir, would you help them out, please? Thank you so much. We're still not shifting. This is praise and worship. We're still not shifting until we hit that note that we're supposed to hit. There's an expectation from God. Is there an expectation from us? Oh, that sounds like y'all not expecting nothing. Y'all must be already healed and blessed and delivered and put in position. It don't sound like you're expecting anything from God. When I think about the goodness of Jesus, okay, that helped a little bit. When I think about the goodness of Jesus, notice that the author didn't say what he did for me. The author didn't talk about what he put in my pocket. He said, when I think about the goodness of Jesus, Okay, I want to talk to some people who read their Bible. When I think about the goodness of Jesus, the Bible says a spotless lamb laid to the slaughter. One that was not guilty, but took the response. 
when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me. That's not my car, that's not my wife, that's not my family. What you did for me, what I could not do for myself. Some of y'all need to stop looking at me and think about the goodness of Jesus. Some of y'all need to get into that secret place and think about the goodness of Jesus. Some of you need to be reminded of old seasons so you can think about the goodness of Jesus. It's a hard day in America's church. We got to remind you of the bad stuff so you can praise the good stuff. When I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul, not, not my lips, not my voice, but my soul cries out hallelujah. It's a different sound when your soul cries out. It sounds different to God when your soul is crying because your lips can sound like clanging brass, but when your soul cries out, Come on, come on. There's a shift already happening in the house, but some of us got to get attached to it. Come on and catch the wave. When I think about it, when I put it in my mind, when I put it on the forefront of all the things I got on my plate, when I think about the goodness of Jesus. Come on, Tori, help that whole section because we need some people that's going to tap in in this season that are going to be unapologetic about their praise and their worship of their God. That are not going to be ashamed of lifting up the name Jesus. I don't care like David did. I don't care if I got to look a fool dancing for God. I don't care if I got to look like a fool yelling at my top of my lungs. So long as my father knows what I think about him, I'm going to be all right. So long as my father is aware about how I feel about what you've done, I'm going to be all right. Come on, because he could have left you in a grave. He could have left you in the muck and the mire. But it was his delight that he ordered your step. It was his delight that he moved calamity. It was his delight that he moved disaster. It was his will that did that. Come on, y'all getting tired on me already. If we're going to survive 2024, we can't get tired so quick. Come on, the Holy Spirit said, I came to weaponize my people on this morning. We're not going to continue to be victims of causality, but I'm going to weaponize you in this season. Why? Because the kingdom suffer violent, but the violence taken by force. He said, some of us come in here with our hope deferred, but I'm going to quarantine that thing before your heart gets sick. Okay, somebody, only, only three people understood that. He said, you came in here with your hope deferred. Means that you've been believing on something and you've yet to see it. But he said, I'm going to quarantine that thing before your heart can get sick. Before you turn your back on me. Before you forget about me. Before you stop singing my praises. I'm going to intervene and quarantine that thing so that I can do the sterile work of the Holy Spirit. Come on, there's a sound of expectation. There's a sound of expectation. When I know that only one person can do it. When I know that no matter how much I talk about it, how much I post about it, how much I share about it, there's only one. Didn't the Bible say there's only one name under heaven by which 
Only one name works. Only one name has the power. Only one name has the authority. Only one name can get me out of this. Only one name can open the prison doors. Only one name can shake the firmament. There's one name which I praise that works every time. Come on, better than American Express. I take him everywhere. There's only one name that works. I can't be the only one that's tired of just getting subpar results because I'm doing it in my own strength. There's only one name that matters. Come on, Trail, help me. There's only one name that matters. When no one else understands, there's only one name that matters. When I don't have words or language to how I feel, there's only one name that gets it. I don't have to pray. The Bible says when I know not have the words, the Holy Spirit makes intercession on my behalf. What kind of God do we serve that doesn't require words, doesn't require my whining, doesn't require my complaining, but when I have nothing else to say, His Holy Spirit intervenes for me with moans and groans that I can't understand. Now we're going to try this again. Praise ye the Lord. Okay, now we sound a little redeemed. Now we sound a little excited. The word I wanted to use was galvanized, energized, and ready to go. This is how we ought to come into his gates with praise and thanksgiving. This is how we ought to enter the parking lot, ready to go. If nobody else showed up, the Holy Spirit showed up. If nobody else came in, the ministering angels are already in the seats. If nobody said a mumbling word to me, all I need is already here. We got to learn to have an expectation in God. We've got to learn to have an, you know how you have an expectation? Do you know the word expectation and faith are synonymous? And if you look under the synonyms, so is trust, so is hope, so is strong belief, strong conviction. We got to get to a point where I trust God more than what I feel. That I trust God more than what I'm looking at. Because the bills might be an actuality and the diagnosis might be an actuality, but I serve a God that is not bound by reality. He's not bound by the doctor's note. He's not bound by the time that they gave me. He can do what he wants, how he wants, and when he wants. Oh, somebody believes me that if I know his name to be sovereign, he told Moses, Moses said, when they ask you, when, I, when they ask me who sent me, what name do I give them? He said, I am that I am sent you. If you know anything about language, when he said, I am that I am, that's a self-defining statement. I don't have to give you reason for me to be who I am. I'm that good. I don't have to give you any reason for it. Just watch me work. I don't got to put words behind that. I don't have to give you a name that has definition behind it. I am. He says, when you go and talk to them, don't tell them about their ancestors. Don't say I'm the God of so-and-so. Tell them I am sent you. See, if we had a little more confidence in that, you know when I am shows up, it's solidified, it's done, it's resolved. We like to call him Jehovah Shalom. Shalom don't just mean peace. It means resolve, it means it's over. It means he's already settled the matter concerning us. 
But we got to get to that place where our faith is just not a Sunday occurrence. That our faith is just not when we're praying for something that we want. But because I believe in God so sincerely, my faith speaks before me before I can say anything else. I've noticed in this space and time the enemy keeps trying to cause mental warfare for me to question what I know I heard the Lord say. And just being super arrogant, he always shows his hands when he starts dealing with God's people. He always does a little bit too much that if we had any discernment, we'd see what he was doing. Because if you're trying to tamper with my mind, and if you're trying to make me go back on what the word says, you're attacking me in my faith. And if you're attacking me in my faith, that must mean there's something on the horizon that I'm not supposed to see. There must be something on the cusp that I'm not supposed to be aware of. You want me to be a little distracted so I'll miss it. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm not missing any more opportunities in God. You're not going to pass me by, oh gentle Savior. I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be. We got to get it to our minds by any means necessary. If I got to look the part, or if I got to sound the part, if I got to do it by myself, if no one's going with me, by any means necessary, will I be successful in this season? If by any means necessary, if it's just me on the job, I'm not leaving this season without everything he said I could have. That's fine. I know where I'm at. I'm not leaving up out of here without everything ringing me out, God. Just like a sponge, God. Get every drip you want. If you poured it in, you have the right to pour it out. Come get everything you want out this vessel. Come on, y'all get your Bibles. We're going to Luke chapter 8, starting at the 43rd verse. love how God does what God wants to do. I, I love that his supremacy is not a matter of whether we believe it or not. The belief is really the onus is on us. We have the responsibility of belief. He's so self-confident. I'm God with or without you. Oh, okay. Ooh, it's a little tight in here. Oops. I'm God whether or not you believe I'm God. It's to your benefit that you believe I'm God, not to mine. I'm still him, whether you miss your assignment, miss your season, fall out, backslide, whatever, I'm still God. Let's read this verse, or a couple verses. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Somebody say, immediately. Come on, say with a little expectation, immediately. Oh, yeah, I must like waiting in drive through lines. I like immediate gratification. Oh, okay, amen. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, mm -mm. someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. 
The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been, again, say it, immediately healed. 48, the Lord said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now as you go to your seat, I want y'all to help me prophesy immediate to your neighbor. You don't need to know what the situation is, but immediate is the response. If you got a little sermon, you can speak a little bit more, but immediate is the prophetic word. Y'all done prophesying already? Y'all gonna leave the lion's share to me, huh? Okay, amen. So for as long as I can remember, the word faith has been echoed in, in sanctuaries from pulpits by teachers and preachers. We've dealt with the word faith. Now, I'm pretty sure for all of us who've been in church, there's a scripture that came to mind that goes with that, that faith is. Oh, no, we're going to say it like preachers. Try that again. Faith is. All right, great. So we've heard that scripture and we've heard the word faith so long as we've been in Christ. Amen. In our early discipleship, we are encouraged to have faith when times get hard. We're encouraged to have faith when we cannot trace God in his movements. We're encouraged to have faith. And in this book, I believe that we as a people have become passive with our faith. So the illustration the Lord gave me this morning was ibuprofen. Funny enough, I got a pocket full of ibuprofen. And the Lord had to put them two pieces together because I was going to take it. And he's like, so you going to take that or you going to take me? I said, oh, let me just go ahead and put that back in my pocket. He gave me an illustration of ibuprofen because we take this pill first thinking we know what hurts. Because the only thing we know, we have a pain. We don't know what's causing it. We don't know where it may localize it may be. But we take this thing with a hope that it will deal with the pain. He said in the illustration, that's the same way you treat your faith. You take it hoping it's going to reach where it was supposed to go. That you felt a little inkling, you felt a little low, and you applied your faith like ibuprofen. But just like the painkiller only deals with the bloodstream, because we know anything, doctor, back me up, those pills only lessen the blood flow so that it takes the pressure off the pain, deals with inflammation. It doesn't necessarily deal with what actually hurts. Somebody catch that in the spirit. It doesn't deal with what actually hurts. It deals with the pressure around what is hurting you. So we become passive in our faith. Not really that faith is not a remedy to our pain. Faith is what empowers us to be supernatural. Faith is what gives the believer the capability of being more than just a person. Oh, we don't know that we're supernatural? Anybody know that you're a spirit first before you're a person? Oh, okay, I got a few head nods. God bless you. Now, what if I told you that your faith had the ability to create what you imagine that you're... Skip that part. Your faith has the ability to create. Think about that. Create. That means something did not exist and your faith helped create it. It brought it to fruition. It brought it from your mind into an actuality. What if I gave you the blueprint of the supernatural aspects of faith? How would you use it? Will we keep using it like ibuprofen? Or would you let it change your life so that you're walking in faith perpetually? So, I know we've all read the scripture with the woman with the issue of blood, but 
notice that we've read it from the context of the miracle and Jesus. We never really read it for what created the miracle. Just because Jesus is in the story, so often we give him the responsibility of creating the miracle. If you read the sentences the way it goes, he didn't do anything. Peter said, we walking in a crowd, master, a bunch of people are touching you. He was going from to to fro. He stopped because somebody touched him. So then, if y'all be prophetic and jump a little ahead in the message, what created the miracle? Ooh, y'all might be prophetical. Her faith created a miracle. How many of us in here are in need of a miracle? How many of us are in need of God to do something unusual in our lives? Then we need to take the same note from the woman with the issue of blood. Because she saw every doctor that she could. And the Bible said she spent every dollar that she had. And there was no answer to her affliction. So you know what? Well, the doctors can't do it and I'm broke now. I might as well do the last thing I got to do. But why is faith always the last resource instead of the first one? Think about it. So today we're going to deal with desperation, being unapologetic, and the supernatural. Let's talk about desperation. Now, I don't know if you ever had a giant gaping wound or some issue going on with you, but if you're bleeding for 12 years, I'm tired, my iron low, y'all don't want to talk to me because in the old custom, when you bleed, you got to go sit outside the camp. Y'all, I ain't getting no visits. Y'all not coming out of water and hole to talk to me. It's just me and my thoughts in the blood. Just sitting there. 12 years is a long time to be bleeding out. What is it? We got two liters of blood in the body? So every time her body recreates blood cells, you lose it. You are hemorrhaging for 12 long years. I wonder why she did the things that she did. She went to the physicians first, and she ran through her resources first, but never really looked at uh, the possibility of what my faith could do. Now, listen, I'm not against the wisdom of doctors because God has allowed them to have this intellect, and he's given them a portion of his wisdom so that we could be helpful, but they're limited. Let's just be honest. Humans are limited. God is not. So realistically, when you're dealing with faith and you're dealing with the fact that she went to the person that she thought could help her, we should have been applying faith to that long before we applied the doctor's appointment. Why? Because faith creates a conduit. Faith creates what we call a kairos moment that is very unusual in today's times. Because a lot of times what we deal with in today's times, we'll hear about the issue and then we'll pray after about it. We'll pray at the funeral, and we'll pray once you're in ICU, and we'll pray after the calamities happen. But we don't necessarily apply faith in the beginning portion so that God had already given a strategy to deal with it. So often we wouldn't pray misaligned, or we wouldn't pray these half-hearted prayers if faith had told us what the situation really is. I get hard-pressed sometimes when I get called from family members or whoever to pray for so-and-so. What are we praying now for? Why well, we wasn't praying three months when it happened? We all seen so-and-so start looking a little, eh. so we, yeah, we wasn't going to send the call out when it happened? We're going to wait till they down bad, and then we're going to pray? 
That's almost like working harder for no reason. When we can be the prophetic types of people to intervene and jump ahead of the game, why wait till now the enemy is infiltrated? We got uh, mental warfare to deal with now. We got other people who don't believe. Yeah, no, yeah, y'all know. We may be faith-filled, but we got some folk in our family that ain't flying too right. And they'd be the first one up to the hospital, running their mouth. Oh, my God, what kind of room they in? All this complaining and extra, but you ain't opened your mouth to pray. Now, now one time you've been up here. Y'all stop calling that one. Let that one find out in the newspaper with the obituary. Stop calling that one to the hospital because that one comes and shifts the atmosphere and not in a good way. Now we all don't have no faith because you done came up here and caused hysteria, and now we all sitting in the family room looking crazy. Y'all asked me to come up here and pray. Who I'm praying with? Just me? <laughs> Who am I going to pray with? Because y'all tripping, y'all quiet, y'all fighting. I'm going to go back to the car, <laughs> and I'm going to pray in the parking lot because I don't know what kind of atmosphere y'all had me walk into when there wasn't no faith in this room. So much as I read the Bible, there are so many occurrences that faith got involved. Faith raised the dead. Faith healed the sick. Faith created things that were not supposed to happen. How was Joshua able to shut up the heavens? How was Moses able to split the Red Sea? How were these average men able to do the miraculous? They believed not in that they could, but who sent them could. Once Moses got over his speech impediment, Moses was a bad dude. He and Pharaoh house, y'all got snakes? I got blood rivers. What you want to do? You got this issue? I got locusts and frogs. Every time he turned around, his faith increased a little bit more to show God's point. So when you get to this point of desperation like the woman, right, some of us get stuck right there because desperation puts an un, unfamiliar weight on us because I've never been here, God. And you said, you know, that's what we like to apply our favorite scripture. You've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor seed begging bread. You wouldn't be begging if you was a good steward. That's not a matter of the scripture. That's a matter of responsibility. But I digress. We get stuck in this point of desperation because we don't know how to maneuver. Now, instead of coming to the altar or entering into prayer or seeking the wisdom of godly counsel, we start spinning our wheels in the mud. I done called everybody I know that could give me a couple of dollars. I done called everyone I know that has a little bit of resource, and I still haven't got the remedy that I need. I believe the old church used to say, Jesus on the main line. Tell them what, oh, I'm not the only one raised in church. Amen. Because I used to, me and my brother used to sing that song and laugh. Because this sound, Jesus ain't on nobody's telephone. What, what phone service would he have if Jesus was on the main line? Like, can Verizon get to the heavens? Because I know it ain't T-Mobile. So <laughs> what phone line is getting to the heavenlies? But the old saints knew something that we forgot in today's church, that it matters who I address first. It matters who I talk to first. Because if I got that one confidant that I'm always running to with my issues, unbeknownst to me, they have now become my God. They've now become my idol. Yes, there's you know, safety in the multitude of godly counsel, and yes, the strong is supposed to bear the infirmity of the weak, but there's nothing like Jesus getting involved. And we're thankful for those who are able to keep it God. Because, you know, was I ever the only one that felt like I was Superman? Oh, everybody calling me. I must be special. I must be. No, it ain't got nothing to do with me. 
It's about God empowering me, giving me the grace to help this situation. What happens when grace isn't enough? We all have a measure of grace, right? According to Ephesians chapter 5, we've all been given a measure of grace. What happens when grace is not enough? When the grace on my life has been tapped? Somehow we forget about the source. I didn't empower myself. I didn't appoint and position myself. So when I've run out of oil, when I run out of grace, you got to get back to the source. I love this story because the woman with the issue of blood, I wish they would give her a name because that's a long phrase to say. Anytime we talk about showing the woman with the issue of blood. I'm going to pray for that one because God, give me a name for that so we can skip that part. But she had entered into a place of desperation. All the things I know to do have not worked. And as I look into the community around me and I look around the people, everyone has turned their back on me. Everyone has written me off as a lost cause. Can anybody relate with the woman that you thought you was going to get help and you thought that, you know, they were going to be there for you. And they said, oh, I always got your back. Just let me know. And then somehow you get a dial tone when you called them. Did I get blocked? Did you block me? You said you was always going to be there. Oh, guess that ain't going to work now. So the woman had got to a point where she's by herself. And she sees a massive crowd walking through the city. Desperation told her to do unusual things. Desperation told her, I'm a woman, unmarried, and I'm going to go risk my life on the hope. Somebody say hope. I'm going to go risk my life on the hope that this is going to work out for me. Because if I don't get healed, they're going to pack me out anyway. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do because once I get to this point of desperation, you ever notice that you start thinking, well, well if I do this and I do that, this will work. Come on, Mike, help me. The math, the math starts connecting different in your head. You ain't spoke to this person in 12 years, but you remember that settlement they got? They got a little bread on the side. Maybe they can help me out. You start remembering stuff that you haven't talked about in a while because right now the, the cortisol is rising, the stress hormones going nuts, and now you start thinking about a whole bunch of other stuff that don't Ain't none of it faith. It's all your own mind. It's all my own reasoning to make things happen. Some of that is the Holy Spirit, if I keep it real with you. The Holy Spirit is trying to allude to you that the impossibility, the impossibility in your mind isn't as possible as you make it seem. You're just plugged into the wrong source. You're plugged into the wrong issue. While I'm asking this one and that one, I forgot to ask the one that has all things. Didn't the Bible say that he has cattle on a thousand hills? And he talked about the mansions having mansions in them. And you got all resources. The earth belongs to the Lord and the, okay, the fullness. So somehow we forgot about what God comes with. We stopped having an expectation in God because desperation caused us to be in misalignment. We've got to learn to allow desperation to make me radical. Not desperate, but radical. Because when desperation makes you desperate, you start making foolish decisions. This is how you end up in bad covenants and bad business deals and got a loan at 35 annual percent. And it sounded good until that first payment hit you and you're like, oh, snap. 35% of that is that? You wonder why I didn't do the math while I was sitting in the office? Because you was desperate. You was tripping. I, I'm going to do whatever you, what you want me to sign. You want it in blood? I'll sign that too. 
until you realize I done gave myself a bad end of the stick because I didn't use any faith. So she becomes desperate. I love that desperation can have a positive spin to it. The Bible says, and I'm paraphrasing, that folk are blessed when they hit rock bottom because they realize they need God. Because we always talk about blessings and people think blessings, oh, that husband I wanted or that car I wanted or that job opportunity, God has blessed me. That ain't about blessing. That was a probability. You, you, it was a 50-50 chance you was going to get promoted or not. It was, when I turned my car on, it's a 50-50 chance that that thing going to turn over. That's not we, when we're dealing with blessings. We're dealing with God intervening in my life in a way that's only indicative of him. When I'm talking about blessing, we realize that the scripture says I'm blessed because I've gotten to a point of life that I realize I need him. You know why you're blessed at that moment? The fog is gone. The mental clarity has come back. You're now thinking a little bit better. Think about the prodigal son as he's looking at the picture. Off. He got to a point where I realized I need my father. I got out here so far and I done spent up all my resources and all my inheritance has been spent out and now I'm behaving beneath myself because desperation has pushed me to a point that I can't even look myself in the mirror. See, I'm illustrative, so when, I, when he's looking at the picture off, I, I want to say one of them puddles of water caught him a glimpse. Joker, are you on your knees finna eat out the picture off? Nah, I know me. I, there's some seasons I've been tripping. And usually it's right at the picture off moment. I'm like, whoa, how far have we come? Let me go and uh, turn around and go the other way because apparently I done lost my mind. The, the prodigal son is blessed because he got to the picture off and he didn't allow desperation to continue to manipulate his behavior. It pushed him to the point where I need my father. I need to go back home now. I, to the point where he started making a speech in his head, Elder Joy, well, I sinned against you and heaven and you and God. He worked, he worked that speech all the way back to his father's house. Desperation. When you get to a point in life where you realize you need God, where you realize that I've spun my wheels and I've done enough and now I have nothing else left. I'm, I'm tired and I'm frustrated. I'm snapping on people. And my EI is unbalanced and I've got too much going on and I'm starting to lose my hair. Let me tell you something. The barber had to tell me that I was in disobedience. I said, what? He said, Mike, what happened to your beard? I said, you tell me. You don't want with the clippers. I'm thinking he missed and did something he wasn't supposed to do. He said, look at the side of your face. You got patches coming out where the hair used to be. I said, ooh, I might be into something. I might be a little too far gone because this used to be a symbol of glory. What happened? Now I was a little, was a little bald in here. I don't know what the issue might be. Desperation causes you to stress if you don't align it to God. Desperation causes you to have maladaptive coping mechanisms when you don't align them back to God. Desperation pushes you to an empty space. Anybody, and don't, don't let's be honest, I know there's at least 10 of y'all that swear you know your car, so when you hit E, you still got a little while. Come on and get free with me. Come on and get free with me. I know that you said E, but I got at least 26 more minutes before we have a problem. In every car, I've tried it. Oh, that's what he means. All right, the car's off. All right, bet. <laughs> you got to begin to realize 
that desperation, much like the lights on your dashboard, is supposed to be an indicator of how far you've gotten from God. How far have I misaligned my steps that I've ended up in this desperate space? Because what happens when desperation and expectation coupled together, we end up being unapologetic. Why? Because I ain't got nothing else to hold on to anyway. If I'm wrong, it's going to be great. And if I'm right, it's going to be greater. But I'm already bottomed out. I'm already empty. So what's the worst that could happen? Let me go on and be a little bit bold about what I have left. I believe that in her thinking and in her dealing with her affirmity, she got to a point where she realized I've got nothing left anyway. And what I should have done is lean into my faith in the first place. I should have gone ahead and lean into the, the richness of the faith that I know that I have. So what happens is she goes in verse 45, Jesus asks, who touched me? And Peter tells him, master, we're in a crowd full of people who want to see you and who are asking for you. These people have been touching you all day. And I, I feel like, you know, Jesus often calls Peter, ye of little faith. You're looking at him like, duh, genius. I know we're in a crowd. That's not what I'm talking about. Somebody purposely touched me with the intention of something happened. You know why? Because when they touched me, virtue left. Because all these jokers have been touching me all day and their lives are not changed. But the one who purposely went to touch me, it caused something to happen that wasn't supposed to happen. Jesus had to stop in his tracks because I know where we were going on our trip. And none of these jokers that's on my left or my right has, or my right has caused or compelled me to do anything. But whoever that last person was that touched me, we got to stop and find out who that is. Just like he told the centurion, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Jerusalem. Whoever just reached out and purposely put their hand on me, we got to address that person. Because that person is exercising something I haven't seen in the earth thus far. That purpose, that person is exercising something I don't even think my disciples have. You did something unusual, not because you're losing your mind or you're going crazy. You finally shifted into a faithful place. Because now you're going to do something that culturally is going to cause you to lose your life. But you bet on me so much, I could care less if my life gets taken either way. So that's a different kind of faith. Faith is cool. I heard a preacher say faith is not faith until it's tested. Because there's a passive, comfortable level of faith. That's what we say our grace over our food. God bless this food and take it in impurities and make a nourishment to my body. That's the passive faith. Starting the car and not checking the engine. That's the passive faith. In this season, what God is looking for is the radical, unusual faith. God is looking for someone who's going to put a petition in that you, mm, that's a little spicy one. That, that's God tier level stuff. This isn't just something I can, you know, pray on the way to work for. This is something I had to get on my knees at the altar for. See, I was raised old church. When you had issues in your family, when your kids was misbehaving, when your husband wasn't coming home, you were at the altar. You wasn't running your mouth and gossiping. You found yourself at the altar because you understood if I can get to a hollowed place, I can get a response from God that people can't give me. It's the same thing with the woman. She got to a place where you've been talking about me. You took all my money. You cast me out. I got to get to a faithful place. I got to get to a hollowed place where I can receive God. Verse 45 says, someone touched me. I get excited because this is that unapologetic faith. 
this is where we got to start training our kids so that they go in a school system declaring what they believe in. They, they see stuff in the school system, they know I'm not going to entertain that because that's not what my mom and daddy said we believe. That's not what we do. That's not a part of my faith system. I'm not going to do your yogas and your Pilates and your meditation in the middle of classes. I'm going to sit and pray while you guys sit and divinate. I'm not going to keep doing the same things that you guys are doing because I'm unapologetic about what I believe. Now, God is not ignorant to the things that are on your mind. Oh, y'all didn't know that God can see your thoughts. That in being omnipotent, God is not ignorant to the things that go across our mind. He's not ignorant to the, the whispers of the enemy. He's not ignorant to the places in life that we may not have faith in. I believe the book of Mark says, I believe, but help me in my area of unbelief. So if that's written in the word, that must mean that humans vacillate back and forth between faith and being faithless. I wonder what would happen if we lessened the percentage on one side and increased it on the other side. I know that we're working towards our building and we're working towards stuff personally. What happens if we applied faith where the money goes? What if our faith shifted in such a drastic way that God's response is releasing the building that already belongs to us? Okay, somebody we should have praised right there because it already belongs to us. These things are already stored up in the heavenlies on your behalf. All you really need is the key to open the door. What is the key to open the door to what already belongs to me? You have to choose to believe in it. If you think about it, that scripture we read in Hebrews 11 and 1, it talks about your faith being the confirmation of what you're hoping for. That because you now cinched in in faith, it's confirmed, it's released. The end of the sentence, if you read it in Amplified, it says divine guarantee. Look what your faith is doing. It's creating something that did not already exist. It's creating something that only God could fathom, but he needs you to agree so that it can materialize. God-level blessings. It's cool that my tank is full and it's cool that my lights is on, but I'm looking for God-level blessings. I want God to show up in a way that only he can get glory for. I want to be the kind of conduit and the kind of vehicle that you use that God has to get glory for because how I'm moving, I've never seen a human move. I wonder what the other disciples felt like when Peter walked off the boat. I'm like, Joe, I'm going with you. I know you was the one talking with Jesus. I want to see that too. I'm getting off the boat with you. Why? Because these, these men, these, these forefathers of faith had unapologetic faith. They weren't worried about what you're going to do. They weren't worried about how you're going to perceive me because I know something that you may not have understood yet. That God is really like that. That God really has that type of power. And what he's doing in this season is specific to me. We've got to attach ourselves to expectation. Now, Peter was right in his assumption as it would probably be impossible for anyone to pinpoint the touch in these circumstances. Anybody ever had apostle ask you to do something that seems a little bit further than what you're capable of doing? You get that little bit of panic right in your belly button because I know I can't show up unhanded. I got to show up with something done and responded. Imagine Jesus says to Peter, out of all these people that touch me, find that one. I'd have turned around to Mark and I'm like, yeah, hey, hey, y'all heard the master, right? Pick one. Someone use the sermon quick. 
Y'all know how we be upset screaming, hey, somebody figure it out. We got to give an answer. Somebody figure it out. Because now he didn't, he didn't said to Peter, and Peter goofy respond. Hang on, Peter. Goofy respond. Master, everybody's touching you. This is where the apostle Howard Vane would have came right in Jesus' forehead. Duh, that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> I need you to answer this the right way. Unapologetic. So, you're not going to be able to find that person. But Jesus said, no, it wasn't the crowd. Someone deliberately touched me. Someone went out of their way, not just to bump into me, but to put their hands on me. So this is where being unapologetic will get you. The people in the crowd didn't have the goal to put their hands on Christ. Man, woman, or child, they wanted to be around him but wouldn't touch him. They wanted to be in his proximity and be seen next to him. It's like catching a selfie with Jesus, but I don't want to touch him. I don't want to do too much. I don't want to get too close. But that one unapologetic one, right? Unapologetic faith gets a response that is unusual. Jesus said, this person that touched me caused healing virtue to leave my body. She didn't get hands laid on her. She didn't stand even in front of Christ. What she did do is make a shift in what she applied. She stood behind touching Christ, knowing that she could get stoned for doing so, but she owned her actions. So we, it's so comfortable. We say, oh, for God I live and for God I die. You know, that's, that's right here. She put all she had behind her faith. Because if this don't work, the way the custom's set up, I'm catching a cinder block to the forehead. If this don't work out for me as an unmarried woman, I done touched this man, and not just a man, but a rabbi, it's finna get ugly. And by law, every dude here can put hands on me. So I'm gonna have to figure something out. So the level of faith that she executed was so far that she had no concern for her well-being. This is what I see about the great men and women in the Bible where they endured so much only because I believe in the response. I believe in the outcome. I'm so cinched into the vision that I'm not really concerned about how it's going to feel personally because the end of the thing is greater than its beginning. The end of the thing is such has such magnitude on the end of it that if I can even be mentioned in the same sentence of what God is doing greatly, I'll be satisfied. For the season that we're in and for what's coming, this is where the body must be as the voices of darkness get louder. Let's pay attention. Platforms are being used to spread darkness. Everybody wants to get on Facebook and go live. Everybody wants to use a platform to expose and to cause confusion and put people out and put people on blast and get people's business out. That is the Luciferian doctrine from the devil. He wants to cause confusion in what you're supposed to believe. He wants to cause confusion in how you're supposed to feel. So what I do is I infiltrate the powers of the air with too many voices. I put a lot of voices on the forefront. Some of these jokers couldn't preach their way out of a paper bag, and they got 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 people following. Why? It's the enemy backing them up. The Bible says he's the God of this realm says that he's the prince in the power of the air. His plan is not going to be right in your face. He's always going to do the cunning thing and do it behind closed doors. So what he's doing as voices of darkness are getting louder, the news stations stay on a little bit longer. We have to have unapologetic faith, not just because it's God we're talking about, but because he has a specific response to faith. The scripture declares and tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. 
So the reverse must also be true. By using our faith solely in God and pleasing him, we gain access. What are we getting access to? His power, his strength, his encouragement. We say these things so haphazardly as if it was our norm, like we never go through periods of faithlessness. Let me be the one to tell you that the access in God, the power in God, the strength from God, and his encouragement, although they have normal language attached to them, they're laced with supernatural power. It's lovely to go down the Hallmark aisle and pick up a card that make you feel all warm and tingly. It's, it's real nice when you get a little text, hey, you're great, keep going. It, it feels good in the moment, but pretty much just fades off the backside because I'm still desperate and I'm still faithless and I'm going through a whole bunch of stuff. So the encouragement was nice. It's different when God shows up. It's different when God gets involved because his encouragement is so steady. It's so heavy, I can't ignore it. I can't do anything else with it but apply it. I can't do anything else with it but take it in. Because when God encourages you, that's like when you talk to your kids and you big them up and you praise them. It gives you such a battery in your back that you can do whatever you feel you can do after that. When you speak to your child, when you speak to anybody that cares about your influence, it gives them such encouragement to do more that the next A that they bring home, the next assignment they complete, the next journey they go on is going to have so much more momentum. And that's the purpose of leaning into God for these matters. Because I know there's strength in numbers. So if I got, you know, Reverend Bonner and, you know, late Pastor Jerry, I got the brothers together. We a little strong, you know, we got a little muscle. Oh, I was waiting for the women to kind of big us up right there. Oh, y'all dropped the ball? Dang. I appreciate just the one. Thank you. Amen. Because we put a, enough of us brothers together, we kind of strong. But there's something different about God's strength. There's something different about his power. That when we see in the Bible, these people did things that didn't make any sense. How did sound knock down Jericho? How did humans produce a decimal that created uh, enough conflict for walls to fall? How did that work? How did the giants look at us who are the size of grasshoppers and discern us to be giants? How did that work out? Because God was in the midst of them, creating an unusual opportunity that we must declare to be supernatural. Now watch this. I love Apostle Paul because he's a little more gangster than the other apostles. And he talk it like he walk it. The end of Romans 4, 17 in the King James says, Call those things which be not as though they were. I always struggle with that scripture. Can we all be honest? There's a, there's a scripture in the Bible for everybody that we're not going to understand. And that's one I read a billion times, and I don't know if it's the way it's written, but my brain goes on flatline. I cannot interpret until this morning. I said, oh, God, thank you. My whole Christian life, I've been trying to figure out that whole one verse. God, I couldn't even say it right for the longest time. Uh, speaking them things, that's why I thank God for people like Pastor Kareem that's going to finish my sentence anyway, because I don't be knowing the rest of the verse. I'll be speaking to him, he come, as though they were. Yes, sir. <laughs> Hold me down. Because I knew what I wanted to say. I just don't know how to say it. Our faith in God opens a doorway or conduit to the supernatural power of our king. How does it work? This is the part where you're supposed to ask me. How does it work? A little more bass? Okay. Simple. We give God access to ourselves. Simple enough. Your faith is giving God access to deal with my matters. I trust you so much. I'm not hiding any PIN numbers. I'm not hiding any passwords. I'm not holding on to regret or shame. I'm not trying to conceal anything from you. 
I trust you so much. I want you to deal with my inner matters. I trust you so much. I want you to deal with my trauma. And I want you to deal with my sadness and the things I can't talk about. I want you to deal with that. I got to a point where I trust you so much. Do whatever you want to do. That's what faith really looks like. When we stop trying to give God the comfortable pieces. Okay, you can deal with my broken heart on this side, but you can't deal with this part. How do you have half faith? the tape don't the word say a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways and look at the last part and should expect to receive nothing from god Ooh, nothing because i'm stuck between two opinions so when we give god access to ourselves our lives and endeavors through faith we create points of access in what we choose to believe this is why we can receive greatly from god in one area and still be wanting in another because what you offer up is what he deals with what you put on the altar is what he deals with so if you're going to give me the broken heart that's what I'm going to deal with first why not put your whole self on the altar why not just lay it all out you know I, I lack patience I'm going to be honest with you I ain't got a whole lot of patience so I ain't going to keep trickling stuff on the altar and then watch you lick it up I'm going to pour it all out just go on and put a whole couple. Just knock the whole cup over and let God deal with that whole thing. Because what happens is, again, we're dealing with desperate. Y'all can clap for that part if you like to. Because I know what the heaviness is in the room. This word was supposed to challenge you. Because if you want what you want, you're going to have to do something you're not willing to do. If you want to see God show up the way that you see in the Bible and you see in other people's lives and you see how he responds to the words of the people around you, you're going to have to do something that's going to make you rather uncomfortable. Imagine bleeding for 12 years and now i got to push through a crowd of men to get to the, not the top, not his hand, not his head. i got to get to the bottom. I got to crawl to get to where I'm going to. Imagine the humility that it took to, I'm going to put myself on the ground and work my way through these people's feet to get to where I'm going. It was a challenge. You think it was easy? Peter just said it. All these people are touching you. How you going to pick the one that touched you and they all touching you? That's how close they were. But she had to make her way. You think other men didn't see her? You think other men didn't notice that she, why she's so close to us? Hey, we might have to get, you got your rocks on you? You got, your, you got your stones on your mouth to take care of shorty. She's getting way too close. Imagine what kind of challenge it took for her to get to that place. The same people that turned their back on me. And the same people that told me that I wasn't going to be healed. The same doctors that didn't have an answer for me. I got to walk past those people. Come on, somebody's going to receive that in the spirit. Because the same people that couldn't sustain me in the last season, they're going to have to sit in this season and watch me be great. The same people that left me behind in years past and mishandled me and put their mouth on me and didn't do right by me in this season because I'm unapologetic and I'm moving in the supernatural, you're going to have the privy of watching me do it. And right when you come to ask me what the formula is, God, and I'm going to walk off. Because you ain't have no time for conversation before. We ain't going to have no time for conversation now. It's one thing to forgive. Is you'd be a fool to let him back in. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. Because we're supposed to forgive 70 times 7. That's 490 per person. I got you. I got 439 times before the my EI and the Holy Ghost will have to kick in and I give you the rest of them. But that don't mean you get to come back in the house. That just means it ain't on site when I see you. 
It, I, it does not mean that you can come back in here. It does not mean that you got the same access to me. It doesn't mean that you can talk to me the way you want to. It doesn't mean I'm going to pick up the phone. It don't even mean you're going to get off the block list. But I ain't going to walk around with unforgiveness. You still might get a green bubble instead of a blue bubble playing around with me, but at least I forgave you. This is what happens when you begin to apply the supernatural aspect of dealing with God. Those same Egyptians you saw before, you don't see again. Because what happens is they're behind you now. So they get to look at you while you're looking at Christ. They get to look at the movement and the development and the growth and the blessing while you're looking at Christ. We got to make sure that we align all these matters so they're solely looking at God. Because I can become a real unapologetic and be arrogant. I can become real unapologetic and become delusional. But if I lean that unapologetic nature into God, the Lord remind me about David and Ziglag and them dudes had him pressed. David, you done got all our stuff touched and taken. My kids gone, my women gone, my, all my stuff. I said taken. Got all my stuff taken. Now, I don't know if, you know, I do know because I know me better than that. You can't press me like that. My papa was a rolling stone. I will slide up out of there. David did the right thing and used faith. The one thing that you can find from cover to cover dealing with the Bible is people of faith. You will see people who are still people but have now aligned themselves with something that is more than them. Something that they were not capable of in their own right. But somehow this worked out to my benefit. I always read stories like Job. You mean I lost everything? Anything? All that? And somehow still mustered up to have faith? I want that to be my testimony. That I may have gone through wild seasons, but I'm still on the winning side. I may have dealt with a lot of issues, but I'm still on the winning side. He may have touched my body and touched my money and touched my children, but we're still on the winning side. I want to have the testimony of having that supernatural level of faith. Because though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Though I go through things, I still trust you. You're causing a little issue, enemy, but the point of me trusting God, is while you're doing this he's responding already while you're here in this situation you're already responding you're already showing up there's a remedy already for me if I just step out the way and let God be God I don't have to worry about what people are saying what they're doing or how you're making me feel all I got to do is turn around and tell my daddy there's an issue on the forefront God and I need you to deal with it there's an issue in my life God and I'm ready to be unapologetic about how I address my issue so I can see God I do it. I don't want to go to my grave being filled of pseudo faith and having no demonstration. I don't want to go to my grave and the only thing the kids can say is that daddy loved God but God never showed up for daddy. I was talking to a brother of mine and I was like, why you don't go to church, bro? You was raised in church? Well, because my mom had been praying for a house and God didn't answer her. Let's do a little homework. How's your mama with money? Face perked up immediately. My mother blow a hole, and that's why she don't got a house. Ain't got nothing to do with God. 
has a lot to more to do with the responsibility of what she's doing with her life. That's one thing the body doesn't want to take is responsibility. We want to put everything on God. Oh, I don't have that blessing because God didn't want it for me. And that didn't happen for me because God did. No, it has a lot more to do with you than it has to do with God. Like I said in the beginning, he's God whether or not you acknowledge him. Whether or not you choose to have faith, he's still God. So a lot of the things that happen in our life that we want to put on God, that God put me through that. God had me to endure that. No, all things still work together, but all things were not his plan. We don't want to talk about responsibility in the church because then we have to be an active participant in this relationship. The Lord put it on me in illustration that we come to his service looking to be served. We come in here and we look for God to make us feel better in praise and worship. We look for that preacher to talk a certain way so that I'll feel better about my folly and my sin, that I can go back home and got another couple of days to not call it curtains. We didn't come in here for that. If we do it right and we had any kind of expectation, which I told you is synonymous to faith, when we come in here, my expectation should make me bust at the seams. My expectation should have me drawn here and wailing in praise and worship. It shouldn't take so long to get the people excited about where we are and have you to shed the grave clothes and shake off the dust from your feet. If we had expectation, we come into the house already prepared to do what God likes. We know that God loves praise. He loves worship. He loves a space where the spirit can be. He loves to talk to his people. He's a good, good father. Somehow we miss all these things because I came in here like his Burger King and not like the right kingdom. I came in here waiting for a drive-through to respond to my modified order when all I had to do was get in obedience and watch what God was going to do. There was a way when I was growing up that you had to come into church. You couldn't come into church any old way. You wasn't going to walk in here making a bunch of noise and running around and doing a bunch of stuff. You had to come in the church, and if you didn't have any discernment, the one thing you knew was, oh, there's something different about this place. It's a little thick in here. It's a little, the quiet was a different kind of quiet. And when the church mothers would get to humming, it'd be a different kind of humming. And when they got to praying, it was a different kind of praying. It didn't just sound like they were saying all the words that sound good. It sounded like they were getting God to respond to the matters of the people. When we had the mothers at the altar and we had the men of God ready to read the word, when we had some order and decorum in the church, we saw God show up in it. What's, what's the word? Immediate type of fashion. Listen, we used to have church where couldn't nobody preach because the spirit was so thick. We had to sit and just endure. We had to sit and just listen. Hopefully someone had a word from the Lord, but if we left out, we were just as happy because just as we was read this morning in praise and worship, he satisfied my soul. Somehow we forgot that this is a hallowed place, that we're supposed to come in here in reverence of an almighty deity, that we're supposed to come in here understanding that we serve a sovereign God. And when we walk in here, he does what he's supposed to do as being God. As a king, he takes care of his people. But what you were supposed to do was be in his service. I'm not coming to service today because I don't feel well. Where else should you be if you don't feel well? I mean, I wouldn't complain about being in the hospital if I was sick, right? I'm not coming to church because my feelings are involved. I want to be passive aggressive today. I want to have an issue today. And then wonder why God's not showing up Monday to Saturday. You ain't show up on Sunday. It's a reciprocating kind of relationship. I've been waiting for you to show up, but all you want me to do is show up for you. You ain't going to cheat me, says God. I'm just going to wait. 
I'm gonna let you burn your wheels in the mud. I'm gonna let you keep spinning them on until you get to that poor state and realize that you need me. There's a way to provoke or compel God's response to us. And it comes by way of faith. So watch this, right? The woman with the issue of blood. God, come on, y'all pray with me. We're going to get a name for her. Some theologian is going to pull a name out, and we get to call her by her real name. It's, it's, it's something. It's something deep and biblical, too. It's Veronica. Is that Veronica? St. Veronica? Oh, no, yeah, we don't do no saint. We, we don't, we'll talk about that. <laughs> We're going to figure out her name. But she gets to this point, right, where her faith has now created a Kairos moment. What does Kairos moment mean? Kairos moment means a supreme moment where God takes his supremacy and interrupts time so I can step in the middle of it. Listen, I, I, I love that our God is living and not a statue. I ain't got to put them nasty fruits. I ain't got to rub his belly. I ain't got to pray in a certain geographical direction. It's a He's a living God. I ain't got to do all these rituals and start cutting myself like the prophets of Baal. All I got to do is believe, and he shows up because of my belief. Because of my agreement, he's in the midst of us. If I just take my opportunity to believe like this woman, she gets in. Now, now if I wanted to receive something from you, I'm going to go where your hands are because that's how you're going to give it to me, right? Her face said, if you just touch the hem of his garment. Oh, listen, I, I got excited by that by my whole self. Because something inside of her, her, her disciplined, unapologetic imagination said, if I can just get to the hem of his garment, that something has to happen. She believed in the magnitude of Christ so sincerely that even if I'm not blessed, I'm going to die having touched him. I'm going to get out of here having experienced him. I'm going to get out of here having been in a certain space that many other people can't say they've been in. Even if I got to end up out of here not being here, there's going to be a legend about this experience. The woman that touched them, the woman that got close to him. The beautiful thing is when she did that, she created a healing access point that did not exist. Nowhere in the Bible did it say that Jesus declared that my hymn is anointed. No, the clothes were just on him. It was her faith that made the hymn anointed. Because she believed in it, she created something that didn't exist. Imagine if you use that in your faith. That God, if I put my hands on this keyboard, you're going to write this book. That God, if I put my hands on this wallet, you're going to multiply. God, if I put my hand on this sick and ill part of my body, you're going to deliver it. Imagine if our faith caused us to move like that. Our conventional sense of believing is not going to satisfy us in the seasons coming forward. We're not going to be able just to believe for the usual things because what's going to happen on around us is the unusual. We're going to begin to see people lose their ever-loving mind. Where the government now is declaring, don't get inside of road rage. Don't deal with people who are angry because people are unhinged. Why? Because everyone's gotten to a point of desperation. It's the body that's supposed to know what to do with it. Everyone with inflation, everyone with social issues, everyone with civil issues have gotten to a point of desperation and they're spinning their wheels. We're supposed to have a response for them. We're supposed to tell them where to put that uh, desperation, where to put that issue, how to align that issue in prayer so we can see God. So her faith created something that did not already exist. That if I touch the hem of his garment, all my ailments will go away. 
So boom, thank you. Somebody already prophesying in the crowd. Come on, Sister Cora, Sister Rochelle, you say that immediately. Because the scripture says it happened instantaneously. It didn't say she went home and took another test and found out. It didn't say that she had to look down and see if she's still hemorrhaging. It didn't say anything about that. It said immediately she was made whole. Now, if you watch what the Bible says, he finally finds out who it is. And she couldn't do nothing but confess. Gave the whole story of why I'm here touching you. And what did he say to her? Uh-uh, y'all skipped the first part called her daughter. So you see what faith does? Faith couples you into the family. Faith brings you inside the door when you used to look outside the door, window shopping and wishing that you could be in there. Her faith gave her a position in God that didn't belong to her. Her faith created an avenue for her to be identified a little differently. I don't want to just be Mike Rose when God calls me. I want you to call me son. I want you to call me beloved. I want you to call me light bearer. I want you to call me salt carrier. I don't want you just to call me by my name that my mom and my dad gave me. I want you to call me by whatever name you want to call me. And I last time I checked, it was son and daughter. First part said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Look at Jesus in his wisdom. He didn't even say it was me that did it. He said, your faith in me did that. He didn't even take credit for something that he didn't do. He said, because you believe I could, it happened. I'll wait for somebody else to catch that because Jesus never even took credit. He didn't say you had to go change your linen like the priest of old. He didn't say that you had to go get the mikvah baptism. He said because you believed it, my virtue made it happen. Listen, this is what's held up for the believer that if you believe it, he already had the capacity to do it. If you believe it, it draws it into real time. Because we serve a God that is not captivated by time, space, geography, causality, or any of these matters, when we believe it, we draw his essence into the matter. We begin to create things that did not exist. When we heard of the hem of the garment had any kind of oil in it. The last time I, okay, because Lord knows I'll go through that whole closet, grab every hem I can find, and rub that joker straight if that's where the anointing's at. But realistically, the scripture said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Let's stop there because I was trained that the Bible should be read carefully, prayerfully, and contextually. Notice that it didn't say the faith healed you. It said it made you whole. Why? Because she was missing a piece. She was incomplete without her faith in God. Because we're made for his good pleasure and because we're made by his desire, his will and his mind made it. Until we accept that place in faith, we are yet still incomplete. I love that the scripture is written the way it's written. It didn't say that she was healed. It said that she was whole. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that he wished that we be whole in our mind, body, and soul. It didn't say that he wished that I be healed. I'm desiring to be whole. Whatever it looks like, God, make me whole. Even if it's going to hurt me, God, make me whole. If I, even if I'm finding myself in a desperate space, make me whole. Imagine being complete and satisfied to the point of wanting nothing. I told you I love the Apostle Paul because he declared something that was a little unusual. He declared that I figured out the secret of life. And what he figured out was I'm whole in God. 
Amen. So we got to think about that when we're dealing with the unapologetic faith, the desperation, the supernatural aspect of what God desires to do. Come on, we're standing. And stand with an expectation. Stand with expectation. Stand with faith. Understand that this is where we're supposed to challenge ourselves. We're supposed to weigh it out now. Where am I in this, God? Am I desperate? Am I in a place of desperation? Have I made myself unapologetic? And am I ready for the supernatural? That's a question for y'all. That's not a question for me. This is what we're supposed to take home on the week. Am I desperate for God? Come on, this is where you start to balance it out. This is where you start to question it. Let the Lord search you out and give you an answer for where you are in the course of action. scripture said let's come let us reason together reason with the Holy Spirit where am I in my faith walk where am I Father in Jesus name we're praying now that Father wherever we should be found in this walk let it be walked out by faith let it be walked out with understanding let it be walked out with believing that anything is possible when it's dealing with God anything I am capable of all things when God is involved. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, just as the Bible said that we believe, help us in our area of unbelief. Let us walk it out like this woman with the issue of blood, that, Father, we're ready to do the desperate, the unusual, the unapologetic thing to see you show up in real time. God, we want to have what you have for us. We want to possess. We want to acquire. We want to walk in those steps, God. Father, we give you legal access to shift the testimony even now. That, Father, as we use faith in this matter, we'll see a different outcome. As we exercise and use and are convinced by our faith, we'll see what you meant for us even now. Father, we bless your matchless and holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you.